What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 37 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnson from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host, who will be joining me shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. In this week's episode, we will get to a bunch of your listener questions. We'll actually check out some educational stuff and talk about the paradiddle diddle. We're going to talk about something that we all need to talk about, which is how to pronounce company names and professional drummers' names properly. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Ron Thaler. We'll check out some new symbols from Peisty, and we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. In three, two, one. That might have been our most in sync snap yet. That was pretty in sync. <laughs> that was like like Joey Fatone. Oh, was, wait, was he? Yeah, he was in sync. Did you know that I auditioned for in sync? No, you didn't. Yeah, I did. For real? <laughs> Yeah, to take over, uh, to do, like, I think Billy Ashbaugh was going to do, or was it Billy Ashbaugh at the time? I can't remember who was doing it, but I was, I, I was going to do a summer tour um, for uh, the for NSYNC when they were out with Cisco doing the, the thong song. Wow. Um, yeah, so I got the call because they wanted somebody young. This was when I was, like, 24. They wanted somebody young and hip that could read really well and play these parts. And yeah. So uh, I... Uh, I think it was like maybe Steve Riskin at Peisty got me the the audition. Yeah, and so uh learned wow. a bunch of in-sync tunes and then my and then my band uh you know kind of found out about it and they were like, "Hey, we're going out with the Deftones like yeah. <laughs> next summer. If they find out that you toured with InSync, they will not take us." Cuz this was like at the peak of hating boy bands. So yeah, and then uh and that then like been amazing. It, yeah, I actually I really wanted to do it cuz I never thought of it as cheesy i was like i thought of it as a drummer i'm like these are really hard parts if i have to play everything you know yeah no matter how lame the music was it was written and produced by the greatest writers and producers in the world so i I didn't think it was cheesy at all i just thought the presentation was cheesy but i i saw it as a drummer like this is gonna be a great gig um and then on that on the tour that we went out with uh deftones we had a club night and the singer from smash mouth came up to me after a club so a club night is just when you're on a huge tour the big band gets to play the cool venues, but on your nights off, you have to keep playing clubs because your band's small. Right. So we had the club night in between, and I guess Smash Mouth was, for some reason, in the club, and this was like right at the peak of like, hey, now, you're oh, a rock star, man. that song, the, the, the Shrek song. And he came up to me, and he's like, look, your band is horrible. <laughs> but I love the way you look on stage. Like, And he's like, and we do not get along with our drummer, so... If you want to just hop on our bus tonight, grab your stuff. We will fire our drummer, figure it out with your guys. And he was so, like, in the kind of L.A. studio world where you just plug and mix and match musicians. And I was like, wait, you want me to go tell my four best friends on the planet that I'm quitting our band? Are you nuts? That but to him, weird. he's like, go go quit your gig real quick and we'll give you more money. And it's like, <laughs> no. And I was like, I don't like your band. <laughs> but anyways, it was a... It's a weird time for sure, but uh, yeah. So, gosh, man, uh, that was kind of the dark era of pop and rock. It really was, man. It really was. So, I guess the podcast has started. <laughs> Welcome to episode thirty-six, everybody. Mike and I are here with you. I'm in the middle of drum camp. It's nine thirty in the morning here. How's your day going, buddy? It's going. It's kind of hectic. I got to split out early and go teach in Philadelphia, so I'm trying to get some things done. I got a. Awesome. Uh, you know, this weekend is record store day. I don't even know what the hell that means. It's, you go to a record store and you buy records. It's a day for Wait. people to actually go buy music once a okay, year. Okay, but who who announced that it was that day? You? No, it's national, dude. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah, look it up. 
It's kind I of a big deal. Like every band puts out, you know, vinyl versions of their latest record on Record Store Day. Wow, that's really cool, man. So that's Clutch awesome. is putting out a vinyl version of their their new record, Psychic Warfare. I think came out in like September. Okay. So I just rushed to get you know a quick interview with JP Gaster to go yeah, up on the website. Awesome. So I'm trying to you know edit that together, and it was really cool. I just asked him some simple, fun questions: What gear did you use on the record? What songs are the most sure. challenging to play? It's cool. He's he's a super cool dude. So hopefully we get back to him when the next record comes around. Cool something man, big with him. So yeah, that was cool. So funny. Clutch is one of those bands that I mean, obviously they have their following and they have their fan base, but most people don't know how how many of their favorite bands are actually influenced by Clutch. You yeah. know what I mean? They're like a band's favorite band, just like Failure, Faith No More. Oh man, there you had something. Is it in the new article or is it? Was it online that you guys sent an email out about the drummer from Drive Like Jehu? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was like, you've heard of that? I thought <laughs> right. I was like the only one on the planet. I mean, I used to listen to Drive Like Jehu, Sensefield, Snapcase. That was like my world, man. Yeah, I was yeah. so stoked that you guys even mentioned him. Yeah. So what was – did you – was that just for an online thing or is that in the magazine? I, uh, I, I think it was – there was maybe a news story about him touring okay. or, or an update. I can't remember. But we – the, so cool. the writers did a full you know, full feature. So we added whatever we could online. Oh, that's awesome, man. That, yeah. was, that was really cool to see. Well, awesome. I didn't know about the whole uh, National Record Day, but that's a, that's a really cool thing. And did you see that picture I posted with the albums the guy sent me? Um, he oh, sent yeah. me three albums. The, the Jim Chapin Play Along record? Yeah, but albums. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's a big band swing play along, uh, the Jim Chapin one, and then another another jazz one. So three albums of drum lessons. And so nice. I, now I have to go buy a record player. So I'm surprised you don't have one. You know, I had one. Uh, my, my The only album I ever owned, my dad had a huge album collection, and he gave me one. No, he gave me two albums. He gave me a live album of Cream. And that had the drum solo from Toad on it. And yep. I had to learn that when I was a kid. And he gave me Spectrum by Billy Cobham. Those are the only two albums I've ever owned in my life. Oh, wow. I still have both of them, too. Sweet. Um, but I have nothing to play them on. But I used to play them on my record player with my bookshelf speakers. Yep. And right behind my drum set. And I'd lean my head back to try to get my ears towards the bookshelf speakers <laughs> so I could hear while I played. Because I didn't have any headphones. It was a, it was tough going at the Johnston household. <laughs> we weren't balling, that's for sure. <laughs> Oh, man. Good stuff. All right, buddy. Well, I'm sure we have a few listener questions, so let's try to plow through some of those. Right on. So first up is um, – oh, Chris Chris Ray. Did you watch his video? Uh, he sent – he he enjoyed our two-mic discussion last Oh, I did. Week. Yeah, yeah. He so, had his buddy that was making mics out of shotgun shells? Yeah, yeah. They sounded pretty cool. They sounded like – I was actually kind of bummed because I was like, that sounds about as good as I can get it to sound. <laughs> it sounded great, man. Yeah, so that I just wanted to make sure to thank him, Chris Rates. I guess is how you say his name, R A E T Z. Yeah. Uh, oh, so we wanted to talk about that. Like, what are we going to do with our two mic recordings? Oh, that's right. Yeah. So right now, um, the way that I've been doing things for the live lessons for MikeSlessons dot com is that I have all of my mics going into a mixing board, and then I have to go out of that mixing board, like a stereo out to an interface so that my broadcast software can read all of my microphones as one signal. So I don't have an, an interface like most people. Well, the problem with that is I can't mix my drums in my computer. I can't really control anything. Whatever's in the board, however I mixed it in the board, is the way it is. So for this two-mic setup, there's a really delicate balance of mixing between your overhead, the way that Mike and I are doing it. We have one overhead and one in front of the kick. 
And it's just a nightmare to run back and forth and try to do this. So what I asked uh, Mike to give me was one more week. I'm actually switching my mixing board over to the Behringer X32 rack system, which will give me stereo out for the live broadcast, but it will also give me USB out as an interface so I can mix kind of similar to Mike. And so I just figured if we're going to make this as kind of similar as possible – then I, I need to be able to have an interface and mix these two channels individually. So so we're doing that. So we're, we'll wait one more week, but we did do it. And we, we sent some tracks back and forth. And Mike, I got to say, dude, ah, ah, the jealousy that burned in my <laughs> belly when I heard your tracks. I, was, I even showed it to all the campers yesterday. I was like, guys, listen, to this. this is two microphones. <laughs> None of them are touching the drum. Like th- These aren't close mics. It sounded so good. I really wanted to just put pillows all over my ceiling like you have a dead room yeah. but it kills for what you're doing yeah i mean i i well i've been there six years and it's taken until now for me to figure out what the room can and can't do and it basically God. needs to be as dry as possible with a little bit i have hardwood floors so i get a little bit of reflection but you know next week i'll actually detail every single move i did so i'll give you a step-by-step yeah. mic placement what i had to do to make some adjustments to get the ride symbol out of the mic all that kind of stuff and I'll do exactly all my mix moves. I'll give you my EQ and all that stuff. I'll do the exact same. So we'll, I'll be using, and that way too, we can uh, maybe next week, depending on how deep I am into it, I can do a review of the Behringer X32. It's going to be really nice. The, the biggest plus is the whole the the rack itself is sending out a Wi-Fi signal, so I can have when my campers are on stage now they can have my iPad up there on stage with them, and they can instead of just having a volume knob for their headphones when they're up there playing. They can have their own kick, snare. They can have their own mix for their oh, cool. for their headphones. But what's great is it has, I think, something like 120 scenes for just the, the monitor mix. So each one of my campers on day one can set up their own monitor mix. And from then on out, every time they get on stage, they don't have to complain about not being able to hear this or that or the track or whatever. So oh, cool. I'm really excited about it. It should be fun. All right. Well, let's get into some questions. Okay, right. So the first question has been here for a while. This is coming from Derek McCarthy from Sydney. So he needs advice on getting a new symbol for his setup. So I apologize okay. for we might have missed a boat on that. But <laughs> uh, he currently, ha- currently has Pisces symbols, uh, mostly signature series, but his main crash is an older dimensions, medium, yep. thin, 18-inch. Um, he wants to add a... He wants suggestions on how he should go about selecting a second crash that will be a good match for that. Um, he knows okay. that you played Pisces, so he thought maybe you would have some insight. It's sure, mostly definitely. church drumming, and it looks like he's playing behind a plexiglass shield. Okay. Sure. Well, the Dimensions, it was kind of a medium line. Uh, right around that time, they released the Innovations. I don't know if you remember those, Mike, but they had Innovations no. and Dimensions. They, okay. they, went, they came and kind of went quick. The Dimensions were the thicker of the two. A little more loud, a little more boisterous symbols. The innovations were almost like affordable signature series. Uh, they're, they're very washy, and they just had tons of lathing, like deep, deep lathing, tons of wash. But the dimensions were a little more hammered, uh, less lathing. So did you say you had an 18? Yes, 18 medium so, thin. Yeah, so right now you have an 18 medium thin. That's going to be a good, nice, powerful crash. That should probably go on your left. And then you just have to decide... Is that your big crash? Is that your washy crash that when you're in the chorus of a church song, you can kind of just bash on it? Or is that your explosive crash? And that's really for you to decide because if that's your explosive crash, then you want to step up to an either a 19 or a 20 to put on your right that will be for the bridges of songs that you really bash out or the second half of the end chorus. 
So I would suggest probably if you want to stay in the Pisces world, uh, I would suggest a 19 or a 20 inch, probably thin crash. Medium is fine, but medium is, I mean, they get kind of thick. So uh, the volume starts to creep up the thicker the symbol gets. So a nice 20 inch thin crash and you could do it in, I mean, I would love to see you get something in the dark energy line just to bring some texture to your setup if you've got the signature series already, or you could just get a 20 inch signature crash. I mean, the, the signature series, um, the one thing that it does is it sounds like studio symbols. They just sound yeah. like symbols without an EQ, no, nothing. They, um, and so I even had uh, Sylvia Massey show me a mix of Danny Carey one time, and she showed me kind of the mix, and then she showed me the raw tracks, and she's like, you can't tell the difference in the symbols. I didn't do anything to the overheads. Yeah. I didn't color them. They just sound like you're in a studio when you're not. Um, so, yeah, I would suggest probably a 20. And then, like I said, unless unless you feel like your 18 is your big washy crash, then you could step down to a 17 or a 16 for your left side over your rack tom. Um, and then have you played any of the 602 crashes? Yeah, I have. I've, I mean, do you think that would fit pretty well into the mix as well? Uh, yeah, it would. They're kind of like a, just a beautiful medium-sounding symbol. So I think they'll, yeah. they'll work with anything. But yeah. they won't be like your personality crash. So just be your all-purpose, right. like hit that crash whenever you need a crash kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, no, I think that would be a, a, a good way to go. So I, if it was me, I would keep the 18 on the left, put the 20 on the right. Because in church music, one thing you want to do is not to be too staccato. Like unless you're playing gospel music, but if you're playing contemporary Christian music, you want to be kind of washy and, and you know blocky with your drumming. You don't want to be overly advanced. You want the crowd to be able to pay attention to whatever they're working on in their head. I mean, as somebody that has had to fill in for church drummers, I always go in thinking of the responsibility that I have to the person in the crowd that's dealing with some serious stuff. And they're using this moment in time in this building to connect with whatever they need to connect with. And I don't want to throw them off of that connection by getting in my coolest lick or playing my new China symbol. I want to just really make sure that I do my service to them so they can get through whatever they're going through. Sweet. Well, hopefully that helps. Let's move on to uh, Michael Rafter's question. Hey. It's funny. He spells soon. his name Michael the way my grandmother always misspelled Michael with the E and no A way. inverted. He, I had to ask him about that. He even, uh, he even capitalizes the E uh, <laughs> in his uh, Facebook name just because he, he wants to make sure, like, look, I didn't do this on accident. I didn't mess up my name on Facebook. That's yeah. how it is. I think, my, guy. I think my grandmother didn't get it right until I was about 25. So 25 awesome. birthday cards with my name spelled wrong. <laughs> and then you start questioning it. You're like, is this – wait, are you right? Yeah. Who's right uh, here? Anyway, <laughs> how you doing, Michael? So he wants to know um, any information on installing snare wires, which is not really a, a often talked about topic. So yeah, um, he basically has gone through trial and error and wonder if we have any specific opinions on how to install them or where the snare strainer should ideally be set. Okay. Uh, I hate setting snare wires. It drives me insane. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> I mean, I've, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, I've, since the very beginning, I've always... Because I think they teach you to turn the snares on, set the thumb screw at a medium location, and then attach the, the wires and just kind of get it centered. Yep. But I always find that that ends up being loose because I can't pull the snares tight enough to make it fit. Yeah. So I always actually disengage the throw off, set the thumb screw almost as low as it can go, yep. and then just try to get the snares to where they're they're not touching the head, so there's no rattle, 
but they're even, evenly distanced uh-huh. from the from the head. It's just so much trial and error. I mean, I really hate it. It drives me nuts. Yeah, I, I'm with you. It's 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 trial and error. Usually, what I do is I I put you know the the ribbon through the the throw off and everything, and I get all that. And then I actually what I do. It's kind of weird. Is I hold down. Let's say you have your throw on the right and your snare butt on the left. I hold down the ribbon that's on the left, and I turn the snares on and keep it completely centered, and then I lock it all down. Uh, but it's pretty tight when I do that. So yeah. it's kind of like slipping through, but the stairs, the snares stay right in the middle of the drum. I, I mean, I think the one thing that we all go through in that trial and error process is we get them dialed. It's perfect. We turn the throw on, and then the whole thing shifts over to the right, yep. and now it's not even close to centered. And you're like, oh, crap. And that's kind of the, that's where the first time it registers for you, like, wow, how did they do this at the store? Because when I bought the drum, it was centered. And now, <laughs> yeah. and now I've upgraded my wires, and I can't get it right. So, Michael, what I can tell you is we all go through it, and we all do trial and error, and, and then you just finally get it. But we all have our own version of it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I could probably ask some drum builders how they do it, and they'll probably all say the exact same thing. Just right. try to get it yeah. centered, and if it's not centered, you're going to have to just do it again. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so, yeah, good luck. If you have any special secrets, let us know, because I loathe it. <laughs> hey, dude, can that be, like, our answer to every question? Good luck. <laughs> just good luck, bud. <laughs> Figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I can't help you there. Get it so it doesn't rattle. That's about it. There you go. Um, this is an interesting one. I'm not sure that we can even really answer it, but I'll throw it out there. From Andrew Harbron. Okay. He says, uh, why do we think everyone plays mid to low tone toms, but not high toms? Isn't it like only taking half of the piano to a gig? Oh, and, that's a great question. And an 8-inch tom and a mounting hardware isn't that much extra to carry, so why not bring sure. something? I think that's a great question, man. Um, I, I can tell you for me, it's everything that's on my kit is based off of what is in my head when I sing. So when I sing mm. drums, I sing a high tom and a low tom. That high is either a 10 or a 12 pitch-wise in my head. Um, and when I when I play my fills in my head, there's only two tones. There's, there's the high tom, the low tom, and then I have snare and kick. But I don't sing like these descending... And if I did, then I would have an 8, a 10, a 12, a 13, a 14. But I just – so I think it just depends on your influences. If you grew up listening to a lot of Dream Theater and a lot of Rush, hell yeah, you're going to have an 8 and a 10 and a 12 and a 13. You you should. It's it's relative to that genre. Um, But but I don't – I didn't grow up listening to that. I grew up listening to, you know, fills that went Pat Boone, Debbie Boone, barbecue, sauce. And that was like, okay, I need a – I need a rack tom and a floor tom. And so now what about how do you feel on this? Uh, two, I think it depend, depends on the music you're playing because some exactly. music just doesn't call for toms like that. Most right. most music, I will say. I will say most music does not call for more than two toms. Yeah, um, some music doesn't call for toms in general. Exactly. So if you take it, you're just going to be tempted to play it, and all of a sudden you're out of context, and then you risk not you know, getting the gig again. So that yeah. – and I take the minimal gig because I'm, I, I'm don't want to carry stuff. So, if I can t- do a gig with snare drum bass from hi hat and a crash ride, I will. And I've toured that way. So, right, uh, yeah, I think. And the, but the music that I mostly play is just laying down a, gr- a groove. Right. And even when well, I was playing I just, jazz, I mean, jazz is if you go beyond sure. the two toms, two cymbals, hi hat, snare. If you go beyond that, there better be a reason for it. 
Yeah, there's so no, much tradition that you can, and so much language totally. on those four pieces. Yeah, I mean, and when we would do our, uh, you know, we'd do our our jazz competitions and stuff that were always held at different universities. They didn't have any. They had, you know, a four piece kit there, and we all had to play it. Now you can move it, but yeah. you can't be like, hey, do you guys have an eight in the back or a ten? And so, um, <laughs> you know, which you yeah, but it, but it, it's all relative, and I think that that's kind of the question is a fantastic question. And it's just to me, it's just stylistically related. You know, I would yeah. feel like a complete idiot if I brought kick snare hats to a Rush cover band concert because it's like, oh, I don't have the proper toms. You know, yeah. I've, I've had we've had because I play a four piece kit and we've had guys come to camp and they love Rush and they're trying to make you know the solo and Tom Sawyer work with my two toms and it's killing them because they have to stay on the rack tom for the <laughs> first three rack toms. So when it's like, they go, and they just have to stay on one tone. And then they're like, ah, oh, I missed my drum set. So, what was that? Hey, lunch is apparently here. Oh, sweet. Let me put the uh, do not disturb on. All right. Yeah, starting now. <laughs> but anyway, so I think it's a great question. I think that uh, what you bring to the gig is relative. Mike and I have talked about in the past that the reason I don't have splash cymbals is I don't hear splash cymbals. The reason I don't have a double bass pedal is because I don't hear it. As soon as I start singing, I'm getting a double bass pedal. Yep, right, right on. All right, let's do one more. Let's see. Sure. we got Ramon. He wants to know, um, you know, we talked about I talked about always taking emergency vitamins and uh, bass drum trigger to every gig. So he wants to know what, if there are any other items that we feel we have to bring to a show or clinic that makes us perform easier or more comfortable. I have one. Okay. And it's not even negotiable. And if I leave the house without it, I will. even if I'm a half hour into my drive, I'll turn around because it's it's bitten me in the ass so many times that I will not go to a gig without it. And that's just one roll of black gaff tape. Ah. I cannot... I cannot do a gig without it. And it's not for muffling. It's for everything else. I get to the stage, and it's a wobbly stage. So i got to gaff tape all of my stands to the ground. Um, yeah. I get there, and they don't have a drum rug. And I'm like, okay, now I'm going to take two pieces of anything I can find, maybe rope or a napkin rolled up or a, you know, a, a piece of cloth. And I make these little kind of circles with rope or cloth, and I gaff that to the ground, and that's where I put my bass drum spurs inside of those, so they don't. My bass drum doesn't move for the whole night. Oh, cool. So I I cannot live without a roll of gaff tape, and right. then it's muffling if I need it. Right on. Well, I have I take my bass drum pedal, which has its own bag, to every gig, and in that bass drum pedal bag, so it's the Vector bass drum pedal, which I I use every time that I can, and in that bag I also have extra beaters so i've got a felt beater and a wood beater so it just depends on the the gig and the volume i have my earplugs which are the ear racers i have a dr beat metronome and i have a sack of felts and washers because playing in new york city there's goblins that eat up all the felts and washers <laughs> at every club that is the best term ever <laughs> best term ever civil felt goblins yes every those are the same people that time. steal your drum key yes yeah, yeah. And I have a, a, a hi-hat clutch in there as well. So nice. that's like my survival bag. Yeah. It's just always in my car. That way, no matter what, I'm, I'm prepared. I can play on any kit in New York at least. No, I think it's great. Awesome. All right, well, let's move on to a little bit of education. Guys, please keep sending your questions into – go ahead and say it, Mike. Man, you got to get it one of these weeks. Is it – okay, let me try it. Is it mdinfo at moderndrummer.com? Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Bam! That's okay. That's what's always in my head, but I get too scared to say safety it with the confidence. Net. Get rid of that okay, hold on. Net. Okay, no more safety net. Check this out. Hold on. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Please keep sending your questions into mdinfo at modernsummer.com. 
All right, let's move on. (laughs) All right, educational time. Everyone, one of my favorite things in the world is exposing somebody to a new rudiment that is applicable in that exact moment on the drum set. Because if I teach somebody, say, uh, cheesed pataflaflas, or if I teach them maybe even something as simple as flam taps, and they say, cool, how do I play this on the drum set? It's like, well, it's not like I just rip flam taps around the kit as a groove or as a fill. It's more like maybe I used a flam tap to lead me into the next idea that I was playing. Um, you know, And if somebody said, show me how you use book reports on the kit, it's like, okay, but I, I really don't ever do it. I use book reports on the pad so that when I get on the drum set, I'm free to play whatever comes into my head because I've worked out these really intense patterns. Well, one of the rudiments that without changing anything sounds amazing on the drum set is the paradiddle diddle it can be felt in groups of six it's always in six uh groups of six but it can be felt as 16th notes so you can have one e and a two e and a three e and a one e and a two e and a three e and a you can go over the bar line you could play it in its natural subdivision which would be 16th note triplets one and a one and a two and a two and a three and a three and a four and a four and a and in that natural subdivision so without changing anything it's a killer groove it's a killer fill it's it can you can solo around it. I mean, I just absolutely love it. So, do you use the paradiddle diddle at all in your drumming? I mean, yeah. some rudiments just don't make it into some people's drumming. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's it's probably the one rudiment. I mean, next to the paradiddle, the regular paradiddle that that just flows out the most naturally for me. It's like my fills. If I'm doing like right. a fill that leads with the rack tom, I'm, chances are I'm going to be doing some version of a paradiddle diddle on the snare drum. That's awesome. very common uh, all the time. And I I learned a cool trick with it. Actually, it wasn't until I was in grad school. Maybe you, you've heard this before me, but my uh, my teacher at University of Arts, Joe Nero, he teaches – part of his gig is to teach us how to teach beginners and stuff. Okay. Because we're grad students, so he wants us to pre- prepare us to be teachers as well. So he teaches the jazz swing pattern with the paradiddle diddle. So you sure. play it as eighth note triplets, and you start on beat two. And so okay, then so within that, dame, 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 your right yeah. hand is playing the, the exact spacing of the jazz swing pattern. So you put the right hand on the ride cymbal, left hand on the snare, play the left hand yep. really quiet, and now you're swinging. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was like, that's awesome. It was kind of mind-blowing. Like, oh, that's how you teach how to swing right there. That's yeah. Crazy. Yeah, because, I mean, you have all the triplets there, so now there's no rests as far as, there's no spacing for you to keep track of. Right. Because the space is the ghost notes on the snare. Yeah, so you're not going to crush oh, wow. it, you're not going to play it too wide or too 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 tight, so. Ah, oh, bro, you have no idea, like, okay, so this is my theory. My theory is everything exists, like the paradiddle diddle already existed, but how that information is delivered from one person to another, that's an art form. Yeah. And that's my obsession, is how do we deliver this, because that can always be changed. Like, Benny Greb did the language of drumming. Well, that was already in Chester's book, right. The New Breed, but it was delivered in a new way that it blew people's minds. Yep. And you just blew my mind. With it. I'm like, oh my God, it's my favorite rudiment, and I've never thought of explaining it to somebody else like that. Camp starts in 35 or 45 <laughs> minutes. I can't wait. I'm excited. That well, is hot dog. Send Joe Nero at UArts. Uh, I think yes. MD Info at moderndrummer.com. <laughs> it's all coming to me now. It's all clear. Woo. All right, I should slow down on the green tea. <laughs> As I take a sip. Yeah. That's awesome. So, well, I just wanted to kind of expose you guys to that. So you do use it, and you kind of used it that way in jazz. And then 
you said it makes it its way into your fills now. Yeah, I mean a lot of a lot of the drum core style stuff I learned, like that's like the lick. When you want to play something fast and choppy that yeah. has a little bit of a, a polyrhythmic feel, we just do a bunch of paradiddle diddle. So it, it just yeah. became part of my vocabulary since cool. I don't know, probably ninth grade it just became like a cool yeah. rhythm that you can play really fast and sound really badass with. yeah it just sounds good yeah and yeah. the other thing too is you know when i play singles or if i play doubles my hands will go into autopilot mode but when you're learning your paradiddle diddle for the first time you have to play two singles followed by two doubles and that transition from single single double double that can be a little bit tough and so it's it's great for your hands in general guys the paradiddle diddle is a non-alternating rudiment which means that it always starts at the same hand so please do your homework and start it with your left hand and make sure you have those down as well because i use the left hand lead paradiddle diddle almost as much as i use the right hand lead and i will explain that in a future episode of this podcast but what i wanted to show you is i just wanted to kind of expose you to the rudiment and how cool it can sound so i'm going to play it for you in a couple different ways on the drum set insert audio All right, now it's time to talk about something that needs to be discussed, and that is how to pronounce company names and maybe a few key drummers as well. And this stems from the fact that I think it was, was it last week's episode? The can of piss. <laughs> Don't say it like that. I didn't say it. I didn't say can of piss. I said cannabis. Cannabis. <laughs> okay, I said cannabis, but I didn't say can of <laughs> Shut up. Okay, so let's clean it up. Clean it up, Dawson. So, I guess it's Canopus. Yes, yes. It's Canopus. My bad, Canopus. My bad. I did. I just rattled it off, and <laughs> I've never met anybody from the Canopus. Okay, so here's my thing. Here's what I do. If I can't pronounce a company's name, I will call them, and then when they answer the phone, that's how they say their name. I just hang up. So <clears throat> when I didn't know, because my mom still says Minel. Uh-huh. She's not letting it go. It's Minel. And so I just eventually called them and they said, Minel USA, click, done. I just need to know how you pronounce your name. <laughs> At Tama, they don't say Tama, but a lot of people say Tama, yes. but they still say Tama USA, how can we help you? Click. So I should have called, you know, I've been like, oh, I'm going to call Canopus. <laughs> and then they go, Canopus. I'm like, whoa, my bad, click. <laughs> Okay, so let's let's talk about a few. What are some of the ones that you have? Uh, Sakai, S A K A E. So it's not Saki. No. <laughs> okay, so Sakai. Sakai. I guess I've said Sakai. Sakai. So, yeah, Sakai. Okay, but not Saki. No, it's not Saki. Okay, that's Got one. It. Uh, you know, Peisty is one that everyone. Peisty is up. a rough one. Yeah, that and same thing. Some people. I I, I worked in a shop. And people still in the shop called it pasty. Pasty, yep. Yeah, a lot of them, but it is pasty. Pasty. Um, now, do you say Tama or do you say Tama? It's Tama. No, I know what it is. We don't need to argue about that. <laughs> I've called the company. I'm saying, do you say Tama or do you say Tama? Because it's an East Coast thing, man. Every time I'm on the East Coast, people are like, oh, I got my new Tamas. And I'm like, Tama. really? No, that's really? Tama. No. no. <laughs> okay, Tama. so you say Tama. Good man. Sabian, not Sabine. Sabian, Zildjian. What's some other ones that people screw up? Istanbul. Zildjian, I, sc- 
I screwed up Zildjian when I was a kid because I couldn't read it. I, I called it Zidian. Um, I had my Zidian scimitars. Shimitars. <laughs> Zidian scimitar. I had a 20 inch ride. I think we talked about that before. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. That thing okay. was funky. <laughs> not, as, not as bad as my Pearl China, bro. <laughs> Uh, I had one of those red uh, Vader. I don't know what they were. I had New Vader. N-U-V-A-D-E-R. Yeah, I had those. That was yep. Pearl? No, 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 no. I had the red New Vader. I had a Pearl China that like, it was just some random piece of upside down metal that somebody stamped a green Pearl logo on. <laughs> but I was like, hey, it's a $60 20-inch China. That's got to be good. <laughs> my first my first symbol, real symbol, I think was, I think Minel made it. Camber? Remember yeah, that yeah. Thing? yeah, yeah, of course. Cambers had a twenty-inch crash ride. It didn't sound good as a crash or a ride. Or a ride. <laughs> yeah. It's, anytime they put crash ride on anything, you know it's it's neither. It's like it's like having three starting quarterbacks in the NFL. It's like you have none. Yeah. If you had one, you'd fire the other two. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, so Istanbul Agop is probably one okay. that people mess up. Yeah, I always say I say Agop and then Agop. Uh, so Agop. Got Istanbul it. Mehmet would be the other brand. Uh, Media. So all these Turkish companies, I think, are pretty tongue, a little butchered. Know. Yeah, little tongue twisters. A media or a media. I've heard it both ways. I think it's a media. A media. Uh, let's see. What's some other ones? I mean, I think that's how about how about this? I had some kids when I was doing a clinic drop a Greta sitch on me. Greta sitch. And Man. I'm not kidding. <laughs> like I was setting up for a clinic. I think I was in like Ohio or some 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 place that I wasn't very familiar with. I'm setting up for the clinic. And two teenage dudes walk into the store, and they're just over there. And this guy's like, "Yo, they got DWs here." And the kids like, "Like, yeah, those are nice, but they're no Gretasich." <laughs> and I just was like, "Dude, did you just say that?" And uh, it was pretty rad. I was like, "Gretasich, that is the best." So, uh, for any of you that see that T and the S and the C and the H, it's just Gretch. <laughs> it's not Gretasich. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think, uh, and then definitely the biggest name faux pas would be. Neil Pert, Neil Pert, but you told me it's Peart like ear with yep. an with a T. Yep, Peart, Peart, and Suckerman, Todd Suckerman, Suck like book. Yeah, and and Bozio, <laughs> not Bozio. Oh, that's a good one. That's a really good one, Terry Bozio. Okay, here's the biggest one of all time. I just spent the day with him, and I never said his last name because I was too scared. Steve Ferrone or Steve Ferroni? Ferroni. Oh. It's, it's 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 a long eat, yeah. Because he, I've I'd looked for videos of him saying his name, and he says it with a Scottish accent. This is Steve Ferroni. Do you know that I literally pushed out in the moment and said, "Mister, hand out for the shake, Mister Steve, <laughs> Mister Steve." Because I put, I, I just totally sissed out. I was like, I can't, I can't. What if I butcher it? And then he has to tell me in his perfect posh British accent that I'm an idiot. That's amazing. Um, yeah, <laughs> Mister Steve. <laughs> How was he was he? very kind. He was awesome. He was so awesome. He, I mean, it was a long day. We had like 12 drummers there and we all had to, re, I mean, we had to do this thing very individually in a photo shoot and a video shoot. So it was a long day and he couldn't have been more just, he was never like, so when does this thing end? You yeah. know, he just enjoyed the moment that he was hanging out with a bunch of cats. For me, what was great is I got to talk to all these LA cats about, hey, have you heard of Aaron Sterling? Because my friend Mike Dawson tells uh, me he's really good. And they're like, yeah, he sucks. He's taking everyone's jobs. Oh, yeah. It's like, they were yeah. all hating on him. Yeah, they were all in, in a very nice way. They were like, no, he's he's kind of a stud and he's he's doing great. So I was like, wow, awesome, man. But uh, anyway, Steve Steve Ferroni, Ferroni. Uh, I can say it with confidence, mdinfo at moderndrummer.com, is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, Bozio, Peart, Ferroni. What other names? Car- oh, here's a weird one. Carmine Apice. 
Car- but, yeah. But his brother to- is Vinny Apice. Okay, thank you. Because I've always <laughs> said I've always said Apice, and I'm like that's it sounds wrong. So it's both. Well, no, because Carmine one of the brothers, Apice, Vinny right. Apice. It's not Carmine Apice, Vinny Apice. Wait, are they not related? Vin- They're brothers. <laughs> that's what I mean. That's I mean. So it is both. Like the family is just like I'm going to say it this way, and the other brothers like I'm saying it this way. I don't know the story. I think Carmine decided to call it a piece. Okay. Carmine a piece. Vinny Apice. Oh, God, that just leads right into like Carmine a piece of what? Yeah. I'll, I would stick with Apice. I would stick Carmine with Carmine Canopus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, man. We're going to get letters from Carmine now. That was my first book, Realistic Rock. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, hey, we got, a, we got a letter from Joel Rothman. That's so, right. Bring it on, Carmine. You know. We love you. Oh, oh, awesome. All right. Hopefully that helps you guys, or we just confuse the hell out of everyone. Let's get to our featured artist. This time it is Mr. Ron Thaler. I seriously hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Otherwise, that entire last segment was for nothing. So I honestly did, was not very familiar with Ron. I just saw him in your newest issue. Uh, it's the May issue, right? May, yes. Just out. Yeah, so yep. I, just, I just saw it in the May issue. And then I checked him out, and the first video that I was able to see of him was from, I think it was like 2010, Victoria Drum Fest in Canada. And it it had him speaking about some things, and I was really, really immediately, once he started speaking, I was kind of like, man, that really sounds like my philosophy. Because I think he was talking about how to practice, Mm. and he was saying, find anything. It doesn't matter what it is, but find something and grab a hold of that idea and develop it and do not be distracted. Just develop that idea until it becomes something innate in you. And I really feel like that with my students. The the biggest problem I have, especially once I moved into the online world, was trying to get people to stop jumping around. It's like, please just obsess on something. You're going to play this drum set or this instrument for the rest of your life. What is so wrong with saying, from the time that I was 19 till I was 21, I was really into samba, you know, or I was really into my rudiments. Like, just stay there. You yeah. got all the time in the world, you know. So, um, so I really like that. And then he played, and I was like, wow, this guy's really, really creative. Super cool ostinatos, really cool uh, melodies going on. Kind of reminded me a little bit soulistically of uh, who's the open hand cat uh, from Klaus. Germany. Yeah, a little bit of that. Like there was a lot of ostinatos going on, and then on top of that was some really cool melodies that probably with my ADD, some of his melodies I would have done once and just kept moving on. Mm-hmm. But he he noticed in the moment, hey, this is a hip thing. I'm going to stick with it and develop it in the moment. That's hard to do when you're soloing because you're so preoccupied with all the other things around you. Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, I found it really fascinating. Yeah, and I honestly I admit I wasn't completely familiar with him either. I mean, I've met him, you know, handshake conversations at nam over the years and things like that but i didn't really know what he did and then i found out that he was on alicia keys song no one he's oh wow he does uh he does the drum i think he does the drumming on the nbc show lipstick jungle he's done a bunch of video game soundtracks so and he's new he's still new york city based which is getting to be rare for a session guy to still be here there's only a few that like him and Stephen Wolf, and there's a, a few others, but not many that are still here working. Uh, yeah, so I think it's it it brings up the conversation of how to survive in the current situation because you can't be Steve Gadd and just have people tell you where to be, and you end up you know playing on ten records a day. So that right, it's a whole different industry, and I think he and uh, Aaron Sterling are good examples of how do you navigate this new world. Well, you got to become a producer. 
You have to be, yeah. I mean, you're the drummer, so you got the drums. That means you're probably going to build the studio. And then in order to get, like, I'm at that crossroads of, all right, what do I do? Like, guys aren't hiring session drummers anymore. Right. So I can't just, like, call a producer and be like, hey, dude, why don't you put me on your record? Like, well, no, because I've got good drum samples, and I don't really need a, to pay anyone else for these tracks. So, like, just take the bull by the horns, and Ron's one of those guys, and Aaron's one of those guys, where they're saying, all right, come to my place. We'll do your whole record here, and I'll yeah. do the drums. So you have real live drums. You don't have to worry about programming loops and stuff. And I think that's the only way to survive if, you're, if you want to yeah, be a recorded drummer. Yeah, you know who else moved into that world was uh, Stephen Gillis, the drum set player from Filter. Uh, oh, yeah. After Matt Walker. And that's the guy that I spent the time on the road with. And he's like a baller producer in Chicago now. I mean, full. He has his own studio. Yeah. Big old, you know, Neve console. I don't know if it's a Neve console, but it, it massive. It's a real studio. Um, not like just a homemade thing. And I, every day he's posting a picture of like, oh, this is me working with Los Lobos or whoever. And oh, they're wow. coming in and renting his room and recording at his place. And here's me recording this symphony. And it's. You know, and and I and he's still gigging all the time and still doing the drum thing, but he's also moved into the production world, which is really cool. And I think that's something that you have to be aware of. You can't just decide, well, I'm going to do it because it's a way to make money. But if if you kind of notice, like, man, I I have an ear for this. Don't think that it's a cop out to add something to the world of drumming. You know, it's okay to be a to me going from a professional drummer to a producer slash drummer. That's not giving up on being a drummer. It's yeah. like, hey, our world is changing. You're going to have to figure out a way to survive. Yeah. So um, that's awesome. I mean, I, I didn't know where Ron was from. I'm really excited to kind of dig into him more, and, and hopefully uh, as I spend some time researching him tonight even more, I can, I can find more stuff on him. But I, I was really impressed by his soloing. I thought it was really musical, and uh, I'm excited to check him out. Yeah, he's got a cool snare collection in his setup sidebar. He's got all Oof. kinds of cool stuff. So don't Some don't the net snowball coolies superphonics. I think it. By the way, I think I'm actually going to reach out to Ron uh, Danette pretty soon. I think. Uh, yeah. I think I'm going to buy a snare drum. Yeah, I just I dig his stuff, man. Uh, yep. It's just just fantastic. By the way, we should have uh, your guys' snares here pretty soon, right? The 40th anniversary ones. Yeah, they got delayed a couple of days, but yeah, they should be showing up. So all next week cool. you should have them. So hopefully awesome, by this man. time, by the next show, you'll get a chance to mess around with them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We'll we'll have that, and then uh, and it'll be nice to be able to do a review on your snare drums that you're not doing. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, because right. it's kind of weird. It's like that'd be like me reviewing Mike'sLessons.com 2.0 <laughs> and being like, "Well, it's a pretty badass site, to be honest." <laughs> like, it's like I can't do it. I could tell someone um, really cared about this. I could, <laughs> <laughs> this guy probably is obsessed with education. It's probably the best place to spend your money out of anywhere on the internet. Uh, yeah, so I'll review the snares, and then uh, I'm really excited to have the campers do it. By the way, we're doing something for our campers where every camper – this is actually happening tomorrow. Every camper gets a snare drum. They have I have about 15 snares here, and so there's eight campers. They all get to pick a snare. They all get a brand-new head, and they have to change the head out because all of my heads are used. And then they have 20 minutes to tune the drum and get it dialed as much as possible and get it ready to record. And then we're going to record all eight snares in a row, same groove, same tempo – 
and really listen to the differences in tuning. And, I, I, and then I'll be able to tell them, your tuning would have worked for this genre and it wouldn't have worked for these two or three genres. Yeah, you know? yeah. or, or do you hear that overtone that's coming from the fact that you didn't really get your drum in tune? So I'm really excited for that. It's something we've never nice. done at camp before. That sounds fun. Be fun. Awesome. Well, let's get into some candy. Let's talk about some gear. So you checked out some new symbols from Peisty. I know you were able to check out the new uh, Formula 602 Medium Ride, yep. as well as uh, a giant slab of metal known as the Peisty Rude Rain Power Ride. Yes, the Dave Lombardo signature ride. Oh, is that what that is? Okay. And he's uh, he's going back out with Suicidal. Yeah, what's up with that? Yeah, uh, I, I I talked to Eric, and they, they said that they just wanted to kind of – they'd done their thing. Eric's been in the band. Eric Moore's been in the band for like about six years. And yeah. they said that they were just kind of ready to – because Suicidal is an older band and they're kind of playing to the same crowd, uh, they just kind of switch things up with different players every once in a while – to give the crowd that sees the it's the same crowd every time pretty yeah. much and yeah. they just switch things up so i guess dave is going to do the suicidal gig for a while so wow that'll bring them back to their kind of early metal proto punk yeah. metal stuff totally and so if you uh if you get to go see dave uh, or go to see suicidal sensies you'll probably hear the 22 inch rain power ride and i can guarantee you that that sucker will cut through all those you will hear covers. it <laughs> you will hear it yeah buddy it was a cool symbol i mean i I have actually not messed around with anything more than a medium ride for, I don't know, since high school. Okay. I mean, yeah, probably since I got my first Zildjian K custom medium ride. That was the heaviest ride symbol I've used since then. And I was, I don't know, I was 14, 15 at the time. But this sucker sounded really cool. So it kind of inspired me to dig into some heavier ride symbols. It, it you know, it just, I mean, you can't crash it. I think sure, that, that was my aversion to it because I wanted to, you know, to get into jazz and fusion, and you want to kind of be able to crash your ride a little bit. This thing, if you crash it, it's it's going to make a statement, whether good or bad. It's gonna it's going to spray some sound. But the the stick sound was really the ping was really nice. I mean, it was super articulate, but it wasn't it wasn't overly bright and annoying. So um, I actually ended up buying a not this one. I ended up buying a, a rock ride from a different company, and I use okay. it with my rock band. I, and it was I just really, because this ride turned you onto that sound again. Yeah, I was like, you know, why am I struggling mm-hmm. to get my ride symbol to be heard? Why don't I just get a ride symbol that can, is built to be heard? Sure. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's so what I, they do. Yeah, so I got a rock ride that I use with that band, and it's been cool. I mean, it's been nice to be able to not have to really crush the ride and, and get a nice ping. So, How, how's the bell on this thing? It's big. I mean, it's it's loud. This. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can play quietly on some stuff. You can't really play quietly on a Peisty Rude ride. It's no, just not going to give you no. what you want. And, and you're not supposed to. I mean, that's the weird thing with like with gear is I just demoed some uh, Minel, the Minel Big Apple Dark Ride just online. And somebody was like, they said something that was like, like yeah, it just wouldn't cut in my band. And I'm like, it, it's not supposed to cut in your band. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a symbol made out of butter. It's yeah. not supposed to cut. And so same thing with this. It's like that's kind of what a Peisty Rude does. Yeah. It's just loud and it cuts through the guitars. Yep. Exactly, and they, they do a great job at it. Now, I am really interested in the six hundred two review because, like I said, I that came out a couple years after I had left Peisty and moved to Minel, but it's just such a legendary series. So, is this a new offering? I mean, I, it's just hard for me to believe they had they ne- didn't offer a medium ride. They didn't have a twenty two at the time. Oh, it's a twenty two. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and oh, they've since put out. I mean, this past Nam, they put out of like twenty fours and stuff. But okay. so I got this a little bit before that, but. The 602s are interesting in that they're 
they're almost in the best way generic symbols. They right. just sound, yeah, they sound like symbols. Clean, warm but not dark. You know, you know, clear but not bright. They kind just, of Zildjian A's. Like A customs. Yeah, uh, they just sound like symbols. Yeah, so it's almost like it's hard to love them, but you can't help but think that it'll work in any situation. Yeah, I mean, I think that the 602s, the Signature Series, those are great kind of studio symbols where the studio owns them. Yeah. And when you don't really have anything that you can bring to the table, or sometimes, I mean, you know, when people are in the studio for their first time sometimes, maybe they just don't have very good gear. It's like, okay, let's throw on the 602s. They sound like symbols. Yeah. We don't have to deal with it. Um, and it looks like uh, – so so list on this is 975. You're probably looking at, what, 35% off at a store maybe. So so th- these are not cheap symbols. You're probably, God, in that $500 area for the yeah. ride. Yeah, I mean it's okay. a it's an investment that will last you a lifetime because you can use it in anything. I mean, I think yeah. you could you could use this for straight ahead jazz. You could use it for your hard rock band. Could you crash on it a little bit? Did it have a little wash? Yeah, I mean they're they're just I mean they're beautiful. When I say they're hard to love, they're only hard to love because they don't have anything that makes it like that's me. It's just a clean, yeah. perfectly balanced symbol. That and I think I think every company needs to have that. You know, I mean, Meinl has the Byzance traditional series. Yeah, Zildjian has the A's and the A customs. Uh, Sabian to me like a nice Sabian HH yep. with like nothing, not HHX to ba 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 ba, just right. HH. Right. Um, it just sounds like a symbol, you know. And then that's what allows for somebody like Pisces. That's what allows the dark energy to stick out. It allows the rude to stick out because yep. they have their like, hey. If you just want to play drum set, get the 602s or the signatures. So awesome, man. Let's take a listen to these. now time for our picks of the week this is a chance for mike and i to alert you to something that uh, we use personally my pick of the week this time is something that i think every family should have and since i don't i mean it's just me and my wife we don't have a family the family that i have is here at the mike's lessons facility and every time we have a camp there's myself and eight other campers and that means there's nine people that have ipads and iphones and I everything and Android devices and it is everyone is searching for a wall outlet in my facility and there's wires everywhere and it drives me freaking nuts. Hmm. So I got a seven port desktop USB charging station for phones and iPads and it's just this little brick with seven slots in it and seven USBs out and it comes you can get it with um, and like mini USB cables for the Android phones and Android devices and you can get it with the Lightning cables for Apple devices, and it was $43. I think the one I got on Amazon is called the GoFanco 7-port desktop USB charging station. It's in white. It'll charge anything. It looks great, and it just sits on a desk in the back. And I told everybody when they got to camp, if you need to charge anything, stop plugging into random spots and unplugging my computer so you can charge your phone. Just go in the back and use the the docking station. So it's – I know that these things seem common sense. Like, oh, yeah, I'll just get one. 
but most people don't have them. I don't really see them in a lot of houses and a lot of studios. And it just makes so much sense if you have people always come over to the house. It, there's nothing worse than that like moment where somebody's like, hey, uh, can I charge my phone in your bathroom? Yeah. Like, what? No. Why didn't you charge it at home? So anyway, so we have a designated area. It's right in the back, and it looks clean. And the you can get the cables that connect to it are are four inches long. So there's okay. there's no cables flying all over the place. It's nice. a really cool thing. So, so that is my pick of the week. Yeah, that's funny. You know, at NAMM show, if you see someone who's hanging out in our booth for like an ex- extended period of time, <laughs> they're, they're probably their charging their phone. <laughs> <laughs> and they're mad because they're not getting enough juice out of your NAMM booth. Yeah, like, dude, can I charge my phone here? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. That means you got to stay here and hand out magazines. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah at NAMM, I, have, I, I definitely travel with two battery packs that are in my bag charging my phone the whole time because ah. you're texting so many people the yeah. whole time and it's just you run out of battery so fast at NAM. Man, you're smart. I don't have anything. I just go go cavalier. Well, I'm <laughs> buying you a battery, buddy. <laughs> All right, Sweet. what is your pick of the week, sir? So this is actually kind of ties in with what you were saying about your philosophy of using one thing, like exhausting it to the point uh, to where it becomes yours. And I've been working on this book since probably 1993. And Ooh, it is Portraits and no. Rhythm. Portraits and Rhythm? Who's it by? Portraits and Rhythm by Anthony Cerrone. Anthony Cerrone is a retired symphonic percussionist, legendary symphonic percussionist. I believe he was the principal percussionist at the Philadelphia Orchestra for a long, long time. So he wrote... Okay. This is a snare drum book. It's It's... It's all etudes. It's all snare drum etudes. Got it. Uh, so, but what's cool about it is they're not so difficult and so hard to read. It's not a reading challenge to play these things. If you can play, if you understand up to 30-second notes, I, I think you'll be able to play anything in this book from a strictly okay. technical level. So, but, so it's not hard to play them. It's really, really hard to make music out of them. Mm. So, like, it's all about dynamics, phrasing, articulation. So, when you dig into that stuff, like, how do you, how do you differentiate between a regular accent and a marcato accent on a snare drum? How do you make a snare drum sound staccato in one measure and legato in another measure? Right. Yeah. So you're digging into all these minutia um, to to make music out of because snare drum music can sound really terrible if you just machine gun through it. Sure. So, I mean, I've been working on Etude 1 since I was 14 years old, and I still don't think I have it down to where I'm like, I can go play this for Anthony Cerrone and feel proud of myself. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's always my thing for my students is how do you know when you have it down? And I always say when you feel like you could record the audio that comes with the book to be so you would be the example of how the rest of the world should play it, that's when you have it down. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely not there. And and it, in my copy, I've had several copies over the years. There's different pencil markings of how to sure because he gives you a lot of instruction, but he also leaves a lot of it up for interpretation. So they're like in in Etude One, he's got two sixteenth notes followed by an eighth note flam. But in one measure, that flam is accented. In the next measure, that flam is not accented. Okay. So how do you play uh-huh. a flam uh-huh. and not have it sound like it's accented? You know what's really funny is I just did it on my lap and <clears throat> the first measure was fine, but or the second time I played it, knowing that the flam wasn't accented, I screwed up the sixteenth notes. I, I kind of made those pianissimo leading into the flam. Yeah. I had to make everything li- quiet. Right. So yeah, I mean, just even you saying that affected the two notes before the flam. Yeah, it's funny. So yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, I don't think I've I've mastered 
I certainly haven't mastered all 50 of these things. So, I mean, I think right. it's it's a pick of the week. Everyone should have it. And this is kind of those like one of my secret sauce. Like when people compliment me on my dynamics and my control and my touch, it's because I've spent 20 years trying to play these freaking snare drum etudes. Right. To the wow, point man. where I'm like, I've got it. I can express myself on a snare drum, which by nature is a really annoying instrument. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? We've had friends come over to our house and play our drums, and you know, like, oh, God, just stop hitting that one. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, and when someone rhythm. plays it well, we freak out. Yeah, and he is he's put out several different versions. So there's the original that just has the etudes with minimal instructions. He did put out a complete study guide that has kind of his one-page synopsis of things to be aware of. Okay. And he also recently did an entire video series, so he kind of like demonstrates wow. the different things. Those are for awesome. those are a separate purchase. So yeah, if you just look up Porches and Rhythm on YouTube, you'll probably find his free stuff that he put up. But every everybody should have this book. Well, I think now real quick, do you know well you would know, but does Modern Drummer handle the publishing for that book? No, but the first I believe the first twenty five of his etudes were published in Modern Drummer before just, it became for a some book. reason I feel like I have that book and I just I didn't know if it came in a batch of books you sent me back in the day when I first started writing for MD. Um, so I'm going to go through my books and see if I have it. If I don't, I will. Uh, everyone can just go to Amazon.com and get a seven port USB charger <laughs> and, and this book and wrap it up. Yeah, I mean I kind of recommend getting the not the study guide so you kind of left to do it on your own but the study guide is really helpful because he he's like hey by the way this first measure goes from fortissimo down to mezzo forte but to make that effective you should end your decrescendo at pianissimo like little things all right everybody so that brings episode 37 to a close thank you so much for listening i hope you guys enjoyed it remember anytime you want to send us some questions send it to mdinfo at modern drummer.com i get it right in the info at modernjumper.com. Sweet, got it. All right, we will see you guys next week. <laughs>